Hey guys, welcome back to the Ice Project. Haven't had a guest in the podcast yet in a while, and I'm looking forward to this one. I'm talking about one of my favorite subjects in the world, my dog Mello. So roll the intro. Panos, what's up, bro? Hey, bro. Not much, man. How you doing? Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for giving me your time. Thanks for letting me come in. Yeah, looking forward to this one. As I just said before, uh, we've got a dog recently in the last eight weeks and got a puppy and it's pretty much changed me and my girlfriend's life and we love him. But I've been listening to your podcast a little bit lately. Your podcast partner actually delivers um, stock to our office and sort of just got to know him quite over the past sort of year and a half and great guy. And obviously that's how I got onto your podcast. So do you guys just, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, do you want to give a bit of background of your name, who you are and how you got into dog training? Yeah, for sure. Well, my name's Panos Anagnostu. And yeah, I'm the hope, one of the hosts of Life With Your Dog podcast. So Luke, as you were just mentioning, is um, we're, we're in this together. And I have my own business called Nutris Pooches, and that's specifically about dog training. We do puppy training, obedience, and behavioral issues. And, you know, we deal with other little services as well. And yeah, I started the business in 2011, and we've basically been full-time since since then. So, yeah. Bro, you got a wise, like, deep voice, man. Thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I, when, um, when I first listened to your podcast and Luke come in, I was like, how old is he? He goes, no, nah, he's like, he's younger than you. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think my wise, voice bro. broke at, like, in, in, like, when I was about 11 years old or something. <laughs> it freaked me out. It is very deep, isn't it? And I'm not a big frame guy either. Yeah, so. you sound you go. sound like a big frame wise <laughs> dog trainer. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, so how did you get into dog training? <laughs> well... A little bit of the backstory. So just before I finished school, um, I was around 17. I, I ended up getting stabbed. I got jumped randomly and um, I copped a knife to the side of my body into my kidney. And it's a random start to a story. This is so it? random, but it's, <laughs> but it's so necessary, right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, look, shit happened, you know, um, obviously after that trauma and, you know, of course, you know, that's a time of the life where you're school and then entering the world and then that happened. And at the time it was probably like the worst thing that could have happened to anybody. But as time went on, so what happened was that year, or like 2000 and 2008, I went overseas for about three months with my mate, went to Europe, did a Kentucky 45-day tour, awesome time in my life, and it was so appropriate to have that. But coming back, my parents had bought me my first dog. His name was Rocky, and he was a Kelpie. And, man, that dog was amazing. So what, you got, bro? Yeah, yeah he's got a Kelpie too. Oh, nice. How yeah. old? Oh, awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah, Rocky was amazing. This dog like legit knew me hey now of course they're very affectionate and stuff but i had no experience with dogs obviously my friends had dogs and stuff but like i was completely fresh completely green and man that dog just changed my life changed my ways got me into healthier habits and i was like running with him and spending heaps of times out and about and it was like there was like this awesome healing process without it it wasn't conscious it was just something that was like a byproduct yeah Yeah, just just naturally um, he was a year and a half old and he died um, from leukemia. And that was like, that gutted me. I was more upset. About oh, sorry, a year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. Oh, bro, that's... He got really sick and he wasn't eating. And then he started like, you know, acting really weird. And then we got the diagnosis. Like, yeah, he's got like, you know, four or five weeks. And I, and I was just, I was messed up. I used to work at Ramy Gray Schools as a groundsman. And at that time, I, um, I, had, I, I was going under, um, I had hernia. So... I was on light duty, so I, all, the, all day I was just sitting in a tractor just thinking about Rocky, you know, and he impacted my life in such an amazing way. But anyway, he was um, – we had to put him down, unfortunately. The next day I had hernia surgery, so I had more time to just think about missing my dog, which, you know, impacted me so, so much that in about a month after that I got my, my second dog. His name was Ace, and he was a Kelpie lab from the shelter. And a couple months after that I decided I wanted to 
just work with animals. At first it wasn't dogs. I wanted to work with big cats, you know, because it's most appealing, right? Um, but there's, there's no room for Tiger King in Sydney, right? <laughs> I was just going, what's his name again? I forgot what his name was. Oh, what's his name again? What was the name? Joe Exotic. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I quit my job. I was studying building at the time as well. So I quit that and I volunteered at the shelter. I, started, I was starting to study animal studies at TAFE. And one thing led to another. I ended up from volunteer, became um, an employee at the shelter. And, and yeah, and I thought, well, look, I'm not going to get my hands on any big cats anytime soon. And people have been mentioning that I have an away with dogs and dogs were paying attention. And I was listening and they were listening to me. And, and I thought maybe I should p- pursue dog training. So I, I started that through the NDTF, National Dog Trainers Federation. And I ended up getting a job out at Dural at Pet Resorts. I was there as a um, kennel attendant hoping that I would become a trainer there, and that was the plan. But, you know, driving an hour and a half to and from work every day just play it, Matt, took a massive toll out of me. Mm. So I ended up coming back to the shelter and I just printed out some business cards and palming them off, dogs that were getting adopted. I'm like, hey, you know, I've been doing training, let's do something. And from there I ended up leaving the shelter and started to do my own gig. And, yeah, it's been full speed since then. Yeah, crazy. So yeah. just sort of, um, you sort of brushed over a lot of things over there, but were you a confident kid in high school coming out? Like obviously there was a couple of traumatic events that happened sort of within a close period of time, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, got, you got shanked and then mm. like your dog died. Like did that rattle your confidence as a type of human? Were you confident coming out of school or? That's interesting. Look, I would say in primary school, I, I probably wasn't very confident. The way that school was set up for me, I went to Newington, so it was a private school. So, oh, nice school you know, down there, bro. Shit. Yeah, it's awesome, yeah. right? Um, may, maybe make it a little bit too too soft, right? But basically, during up until year six, we just had, we just had friends, right? Friends are friends. But as soon as we went to year seven, that's when we started knowing if we're smart or dumb. And all of my friends were in the A B sort of ranges, and I was in K L M. So then, naturally, um, this way we started to bring out a different part of me, right? Because I had to fit into a new crew now. And I started hanging out with, at the back with, with the boys and making a lot of noise. So then from like year seven, year eight, I started becoming confident to, to fit in, I, I'm assuming. And also to, I think confidence came from there because I had to, I became from the quiet kid to maybe I was known because I was becoming more of the, the, the class clown sort of thing. And from there, you know, a few fights happen and, you know, mm. your, your character starts to get tested and you talk a lot, are you going to back it up? So I think throughout that I started to explore myself in, in other ways, you know, like hanging out with, with a different crew. So by the time – so I left um, Newington at year 10 because I didn't get expelled or even asked to leave, but I, I needed a fresh start because teachers weren't taking me seriously and stuff. So I went to um, Penzos Maris for a year, then that moves to Cogramaris. So a different – group of people and mm. so by the time and then I'd normally hung out with boys outside of school and, that, and all the boys were had already left school by that time so we're hanging out on, in, in a different in a different way you know um and you know pushing the boundaries and experimenting in life so by the time I was 17 like I had experienced things that most kids weren't experiencing until they left school so when that happened to me it first of all it brought on heaps of trauma like in terms of confidence confidence like disappeared mm. so what happened, like, I wouldn't even walk to my car at night, bro. Like, if the sun was down, whatever's in the car can wait. Going to the, like, there was nightmares, waking up into a nightmare, waking up into another nightmare. So there was some legit trauma. No one really diagnosed anything except for, actually, I didn't really think I had a problem until I saw the counsellor at school because they, they said, hey, look, it's best if you go see the counsellor, especially since HSC was two weeks before I got stabbed. So you're not going to really perform. 
anyway, it worked out for me because I wasn't really good at, at exams. So seeing the counsellor and he, you know, probed, he probed me, asked me questions that no one ever asked me. And I thought, oh, fuck, I think I've got a problem. So, um, you know, he gave me some techniques and it kind of just stated that he basically said that I, I was traumatised. So my exam mark didn't count and then they mimicked my class mark for the HSE, which is pretty cool. That worked for me. <laughs> and from there, I think when Rocky came into my life, I think there's, that's where a lot of confidence came back. Not like, you know, I still went overseas with, with my friend and like, you know, and that was the first time I was away, like being out of the country without my parents and, you know, so like I was still myself, but there was moments of doubt, like if there was another male that would look at me for too long, I'd look away or I'd sit at the room and I never really noticed this was a thing, but I always sit at the back of a restaurant or wherever and with my back to the wall. So I can see that entry point and there was just, there was all these survival mechanisms yeah, that were kicking in yeah. without even knowing it. So you're on edge, right? Um, but I started working out heaps when I got rocky and I worked out that. That's why I got double hernia because I went from being skinny to working out like a maniac to put on the muscle, to bring on the ego, to, to mask a lot of the shit. Um, and if anything, I think I became more of a, I, I put on the front like I was more confident because I felt like I had to do that. That was the armor. That was the shield. Um, in amongst working with dogs and getting to know dogs, I, I guess I got embarked on a bit of a spiritual experience, you know, and things started occurring to me that were beyond the physical and it wasn't too mystical, but I started to learn a lot of my, about myself and, you know, anything like with any development, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, you're going to be learning for the rest of your life. So I think that ties in with the dogs because I think it brought me more inward than, and knowing more about myself and how I respond to the environment rather than trying to fix the environment so it can suit me. And so like working on my own um, conditioning and then learning how to condition dogs that experience bad things and, you know, raising them right from puppies, all, like everything tied in, you know, behavioural science is congruent mm. along the spectrum no matter what the species, obviously application's different. So, um, so to answer your question, I, there was confidence out external, but internal there was a lot of stuff that had to be worked on, yeah. What was it like putting down your dog? Rocky? Yeah. It was fucked. It was oh. so fucked, right? I remember um, when we put down our dog when, it was, when I was a kid, I still remember it, eh? Traumatic as. Man, you know what? Like, there was a bit of a relief in it too because, you know, um, me and the boys went to go pick up Rocky, but my dad had called me and he's like, look, you know, he never said anything, but he meant he, the way he was talking was like, something's wrong. You're like, look, Rocky's going to come back and we're going to talk about blah, blah, blah. So obviously the vet had called him before I spoke to him. So as soon as that happened and he told me, I was gutted, man. I was so upset, crying like a baby, like every single day, mm. legit depressed. I think maybe it brought up the scars, you know, of, my own shit, but also I love this dog. He was he was amazing. So the day then I remember the night before we put him down, me and the boys were at home and we were wasted. And we're like, where's Rocky? And went downstairs and you can hear his insides like like making this fucking gargly gross noise. It was like 2 a.m. and I went to my mum's room, like, hey, let's let's we've got to go to the vet now and, and put him down. She's like, it's two in the morning, we've got to wait till the morning, right? So I basically so the first thing in the morning we we took him to the vet and, and it, it, there was a relief in it. But of course, like, you know, that day was my last day at work. So I had to like go to work. Luckily, I worked on my own, like, you know, just cutting grass. So there was some peace in it. But, um, but yeah, it just, it, it shook me, man. It, it rocked my world. It's crazy when you walked in here and, um, like, Luke, me and Luke, you've been around Mallow like a little bit. It's probably the first time he hasn't really peed on someone when he's excited to oh, see someone. There you go. And the thing I noticed was that you didn't really like, you gave him attention, but it wasn't like, oh shit, come here, look, look mm-hmm. how cute you are. You just sort of stood there and like put your hand down and he put his hand, like his head in your hand and he was just 
Seem calm straight away. Is that is that a strategy or what? Well, look, one thing you don't want. I go, it's a good habit not to make a big deal about being around dogs anyway. That's hard though, eh? It's hard, right? <laughs> it's, it's an impulse control that we should develop. The reason why is first of all, like I shouldn't have to encourage him to jump. So, like I'm sure I'm assuming we don't want him jumping on people, mm. and it's just a habit of mine too. I walk into the house and there was one client I remember. She her boxer was out of control, like so excited. I walked in. I, I introduce myself to the human beings, I sit down, and like I didn't really pay much attention to the dog because if I reinforce a behaviour by patting her or looking at her or, or talking to her, then in that moment I would reinforce the fact that it's jumping on me and licking me and doing everything else that's annoying. So being calm, sitting down, and I explain this to the owner, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes in, she goes, oh, I thought you were a bit standoffish to the dog, assuming that I'll come in and act like a five-year-old around the dog mm. because I love dogs. But because I love dogs, I need them to act a certain way. So... Coming in here now, like the the always, like walking into a kennel or even coming home to my own dogs, I'm super calm, I'm relaxed. When I see a behaviour that I'm that I like, then I'll invite the dog into my space, and then we can then we can wind it up and then play. But it's, what's what's a behaviour that you like? Um, so like if I've walked in and like this is back in the day, my dogs are old enough now to like not act overexcited. But like let's just say with Mello there, I'd walk in and he gets all excited, he's jumping on me. I just ignore him. I just stand there, I introduce myself, we're having a chat. If he was a, like put all four paws on the floor basically if he was like standing and sniffing or he just walked around or if he sat in front of me or whatever it would be better if he did it on his own mm. and i'd be like hey good boy and i'll give him a little pat now he'll jump again after the pat now my pat isn't oh my gosh and then wind him up it's just <laughs> that's hey, proper me when i get home right. too <laughs> well because what happens is for, or the reason why he pees is because of his excitement oh, he can't control yeah. it right so he's going to pee on your shoes and that piss you off but then that will continue happening as he's six months old, eight months old, and it never really shakes it because it's a habit. Mm. So good habit is you come in and, and reward the dog for what you want him to be if he was older. Or if he was a German Shepherd puppy, or let's just say he was six months old German Shepherd, would you pat him for jumping on you? No. And he'd be like, probably not because he's jumping, he's dirty my clothes, he's scratching me. But with the little dog, the exact same thing. I've got a Roddy Shepherd mix. Um, he's like 39 kilos, and I've got a Maltese Pomeranian who's like four kilos. So the same rules apply for both of them. And imagine you're wearing white jeans and you came in. You wouldn't want him jumping on you. But if you're wearing trackies, you wouldn't care. So you should always act as if you're wearing the nicest clothes or treating your body as if it's truly the temple because you don't want a little energy sucker uh, coming and nipping at you because jumping's good now. Then you hang off your clothes and then he starts barking at you mm. and then he won't leave you alone. Then he jumps on the three-year-old niece that he's super, super scared of dogs. So there's many reasons why not to do it. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. But it'd be nice if your dog greeted you nicely. Like, for example, I don't know him. Imagine I ran at him full speed. Yeah. It'd freak him out, right? Or even you. Like, I jumped on you and gave you a noogie and you haven't even met me yet. You're like, what the fuck, bro? You're a little bit too forward, right? <laughs> so it's good to just try to create this, the same sort of vibe of, of what you want your dog to be. What's some common mistakes that a lot of people have when they first get a puppy? Because there's, there's a lot of like old school myths about, isn't there? Like, yeah. spit in the mouth. Like, oh. you know, you <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't That's do gross. That. Um, the worst thing that we can do with our puppies is not take them out until that first 17 weeks of their life. So mm. between 7 to 17 weeks, or some people say 6 to 16 weeks, so there's a critical period of development. So in that time, it's so important that your, our puppies are exploring the world and exposed to stimulus of bikes and cars and loud noises and dogs and birds and people, all these different things, different surfaces, different sensations or, you know, um, some dogs have never been in a studio like here where it's echoey. They may shit themselves standing on a polished concrete floor, you know. So exposure to the world as much as possible up until that 17 weeks is super important. 
The problem with that is that some vets will say don't take them out until their last vaccination because their, their risk of parvovirus or contracting parvovirus can, can be fatal to them, which is true. But the likelihood of a puppy contracting parvovirus in Sydney is, is pretty slim because mm. everyone's vaccinating their dogs. It's a pretty clean environment in regards to that. So since 2011, we've seen over 1,500 clients. I haven't had one puppy owner say, hey, my puppy's gotten parvovirus. And I've been telling people this advice right from the beginning. So and My vet said that to me as well. So I got a 12-week shot. I was like, oh, sweet, we're on here. We can cruise about. And then um, I remember Luke, um, your podcast partner, telling me, no, nah, he should be sweet. But the vet telling me, no, nah, I still carry him everywhere. He should only be on concrete, like organised play dates and like stuff like that. I was just, well, look, uh, 20 years ago, I'd say, yeah, probably, or different areas, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that. Look, the problem with parvovirus is that it can live in the soil for up to a year. So if an infected it dog... It comes through dog shit, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so if a dog that was infected did a shit on the soil out the front and then your puppy come and sniffed it and then came in contact with it, that's how they can get it. So because it's not like an immediate thing that it sits on the surface for four hours and it goes away, then we'd say there's no problem. But because in a pristine environment, it can live there for a very long time. So the advice I would say is walk your puppy, but keep them on the concrete. Yeah. You know, don't give them on grassy areas... My pup, when he was eight weeks old, the first day I had him, we were at the park, went to the beach. 20 weeks old, he had seen everything that the world is that I will expose him to anyway. So the risk for me now, you've got a small dog, so it's not, it's not the same thing. But let's just say you had a rottweiler and you didn't expose him up to 17 weeks and they've never seen you know, um, a man with a hat or they've never seen a, a bike or a horse. And what happens is they wait, you wait till they're eight months old and they come in contact with that thing. That lack of socialization can create fear then creates an undesirable response, lunging um, through aggression, through fear, or it could be that he's super anxious and doesn't want to come in contact with it. And the problem with a dog that bites and bites somebody, especially if they're big, is that they will have a death sentence mm. rather than getting the parvovirus before 17 weeks. So, you know, a lot of the times more dogs are dying because of the lack of socialization in that critical period compared to getting the parvovirus itself. So... I remember when um, I talked about my dog getting put down, and like he was a he was a Ridgeback half putty pit bull, mm-hmm. and like we didn't quite like train him properly because we, we had three dogs growing up. Mm-hmm. Two of them were very well trained because my dad trained them, but that middle one was a pity, and let us sort of just you had like, him at the same time. Nah, nah, okay. like one after the other, mm-hmm. and we, we used to just like play around with him too much and tease him and tease him when he's a puppy, and then mm-hmm. my mom was like, "You're gonna regret it one day because he's gonna bite someone," and he actually come home with a cat in its mouth. Oh wow! And the owner was chasing after it with a knife, so the, yeah, that's Gee. how he got put down. There you, yeah. Yeah. There you go, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, like, exposure to the cat, uh, to cats are important. Look, now, in saying that, if people are super concerned, they're like, no, 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 I, I, I'm not, I don't want my puppy to, to die. I've spent five grand on the thing, and I love him too much. And I'm like, for sure. And I get it. If I'm, if I'm wearing a white cloak and I have accolades behind me, you'd probably listen to me better as well, right? Mm. But the, the truth is the critical period for a human is up to three to four years old. So you don't take your son out until they're four years old and then expect them to be cool in Westfields would be too much of an expectation. Yeah, true. So, you know, how much, how much anxiety will we face in that? So, you know, we think 17 weeks is like, it's nothing. Just wait then. It's it's cool. But that's a big chunk of 15 years, you know, compared to our four, you know what I mean? So 17 weeks in a, in a human baby is nothing compared to the years <laughs> they live, you know? Yeah, so. that's true. I heard you talk, I think it was you that talked about trying to make it like either a positive or neutral environment, never yes. a negative environment. Mm-hmm. And the day you said that when I was taking them out for a walk, a bus come past and mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he was like, like started like panicking, and lucky mm-hmm. I had one more treat left, and I was like, yes. and gave it to him. Okay, good. That's what you do, eh? That's yeah, what yeah, that was perfect. Yeah. What was he like? The next bus came. No, past. he was all right. He was all right. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So, do you want to explain that a little bit further? Yeah. Look. So, what we do with when it comes to training dogs is we use markers, and a marker is um, an audible tone generally that 
predicts to the dog that food's on its way. So we say the word yes, which means I'm giving you food 100%. Dogs can only be reinforced or punished within one and a half seconds of a behavior. And is also, that, is that, I've heard you say that. Is that science? Is that that's, like, is Science that is now saying, oh, maybe it's 1.1. Yeah. So we're going to get to a point where it's like just has to be in the moment of the behavior. Because another old school myth is like if a dog has a shit, you just take it back to a shit, shove its face in it. And it that sucks. Like, so bad. I'm not doing that. I'm not yeah. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. You know, that is the advice that was going around for a long time. And that actually doesn't work. It may work over time. And you may have a very scared dog and he will hide from you every time he goes to the toilet or every time there's shit in the presence of you. He won't want to be near you. So we may come up with too many um, fear reactions in, in that sort of method. The best thing to do is, is good management. But in back to you know, making positive experiences, if we go yes and give food, yes and give food, do that over and over again, that dog will understand when you say yes that he's going to get food and it creates a, conditioning, a conditioned response. Just like when you smell that smell and you're like, oh, grandma, there's, a, there's an emotional reaction to a stimulus. So our KFC, hundred percent. Oh, hangover. Totally, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So this nostalgic sort of feeling, but it's not just nostalgia; it's all also a an emotional reaction. So when that dog hears food, they're spiked up, and you can even see their salivation coming out of the mouth. Depending on the dog, you know that the dog goes, "I am getting food for that." So let's just say they have a really um, strong marker, and the bus comes past. The moment the bus goes past, and your dog's just looking at the bus and goes. Tsh! And then he kind of flinches a little. You mark it. He'll look at you knowing I'm giving you food because it's a guarantee. Mm. So we say yes for food and we say good boy for pats and praise. And then that way there, if you do this regularly with certain things that he either shows a good reaction to it. So like he sees um, a, a pram go past him and he's like, you know, eight weeks old and he just looks at it. You go, yes. And he goes, oh, wow, that was awesome because it's neutral. It just, it just is. Mm. Where if you ignore it and then one day a pram almost hits him and he goes, something's up with prams. You know what I mean? So doing what you did was perfect. You could also just ignore it. And then if he didn't get scared and he goes, oh, that's just what happens, then that's fine. But you saw that he flinched back. So then you had to make it rewarding. And it's not because he thinks, oh, buses means I get food, even though he will think that. It's that, oh, good feeling happens when I see things that I'm not sure about. And if you do this, um, if you generalize it into different things like, you know, someone opens an umbrella and then he gets, what the hell, and you reward it, or he sees um, a bike go past him, you reward it, then eventually you may get a point where he'll look at the strange thing like, you know, the child screaming, and he's like, and then he looks at you and you're going, good, and you reward him. Because mm. now you're showing him when, thing, when there's random things happening, you may get rewarded. Or worst case is that he goes, I get food around things that are potentially scary. A caveat to that is you don't want to go like right up to the car that's going to backfire in his face because you're going to overwhelm him. He may mm. not care about food if he's that stressed. And there's so much to it. What's your dog's motivation for food? You know, how many times has he been out? Have you gone from in the house to, you know, the busiest street compared to slowly um, acclimating him to these different environments? So there's so much to it, many variables. But, yeah, what you did was good. So when you – I've heard you talk about food on a number of different occasions. There's two different things that you've talked about. One is like – um, dragging his food throughout the day, and the mm-hmm. other one was it shouldn't be like a buffet. You, mm-hmm. you shouldn't have food there all the time. Yes. And when I first had him there, and he wasn't really eating his food, and like that exact tip, like put it down for like five ten minutes, and mm-hmm. then if he's not eating it, take it away. Perfect. It's so, it's so true. If you woke up and money just appeared in a bucket next to your bed, and that just happened every day, and then the money just keeps accumulating, then what motivates you to get up and get creative? Mm-hmm. You go, oh, today I don't feel that great. It doesn't matter. 
you know, where if you're hungry for money, literally, and you're willing to do the hard things to get the reward for it, then now your money is an ex- well, money is existential for us. We need it for survival. So then if you, you will put more effort into your job because money is existential. Where with the dog, if the food's sitting around all day, then he goes, why even try to eat it if it's always there, you know? And then actually makes them more fussy and they actually eat less, which is counterintuitive because you think, well, there's food there all the time. You shouldn't go hungry. Um, it's kind of like us too. When you have, you know, my fridge was full the other day and, I'm, and I still wanted to order something random. Like, I could have made anything, but it's just there because we become a little bit um, too soft or sensitive or whatever it is. So food's down, he doesn't eat it, you take it away from him to start to value it. If you can go, all the food comes from your pouch, that dog will make that food so valuable. And also you put value into his work as well. But most people are not willing to do that. Because you got to walk around for pouching that all day, don't you? Well, not all day. You can just go, hey, I'm going to do three sessions of training and that's how you get your food. Just mm-hmm. like you feed him three times in the bowl, you do it from there and he can get that whole meal in a five-minute training session. You can go out the front into the driveway, practice some recall, practice your down, some bed. He gets food. If he does it really good, you can just empty the food onto the ground after he's done the behavior. Mm. And you go, cool, you're done. We'll come back later and maybe do it again. And then what would, what would the reaction be next time you're in the car park and you say, hey, come here. Maybe you'll give me that big jackpot again. Yeah. So, you know, it goes down to, you know, what does food do to what – does, what does a reward do to any species that it increases dopamine? And dopamine is the pleasure chemicals, the things – it's the main reason why we seek any form of reinforcement is to get that feeling. So if we can start tapping into that, which not, not to get too technical, but there's a reason why we're addicted to things. And it's not generally always the substance. It's the process of getting the substance is why your body goes, oh, yeah, that's good. Keep mm. it up sort of thing. It's like so, even I read a study on like dopamine when you're looking at your phone in that now. It's crazy, eh? Definitely. Yeah. And they say turn, um, put it on black and white because the, the less colours, it stimulates less um, of that, um, that addiction, so to speak. And um, it happens with anything. It happens when you're just about to, like, you know, payday. It happens just before you hit the poker machine. People just lighting up that cigarette before any nicotine even goes into them, dopamine's happening. So mm. um, it's re- the main reason why we seek those sort of pleasures. So how important is crate training? And a lot of people see crate training as cruel because they see it as the type of jail, but how important <laughs> is it? Um, look, I think it's a really useful tool and technique that we can use. Um, I'm not saying that it's 100% necessary, but if we choose to do it, it's good to do it correct so the dog sees it as a valuable place to be in or just a neutral place which is ideal for him not to get jacked up going in there because then he's now you've restricted him from being everywhere. Just to be clear, a crate is a, like it is a cage compared to an exercise pen, which is like just a penned area. Um, the problem with the pen is that your dog just jumps out of it or can just push it around mm-hmm. where the crate is inside of it and he has to stay there. So it's good for toilet training because dogs or puppies won't generally like to go toilet immediately where they are sitting. Now, the puppy may have a couple of accidents and find how sucky that is, so he should wait until you let him out, which then means you shouldn't keep him in there for four hours the first time ever. But um, but it can you be – You said a kind of a rule of thumb with the ages on how many hours you should keep him in there? Or did you um, say, or Maybe not like specific – like it goes to the dog, you know, because I can have a dog a year and a half old, never seen a crate. I wouldn't go, oh, because you're a year and a half old, you should be able to do that yeah, long. That's true, do you know what it? I mean? Yeah. But we start off by keeping it open and just chucking food in there, feeding all of its food in there. Um, dog goes in there to lay down. We close the door. We open it. We reward. So there's a successive approximation. We make small baby steps towards the bigger goal. And the goal is you can stay there for eight hours while I'm asleep. Mm. You don't toilet it. Um, and you hold it, you don't. You can't destroy anything because you're inside of your crate. It's a place where it's downtime, so it's like meditation, you're asleep. It's timeout, not in the sense of you're in trouble. Timeout is in, it's just time to check out a little. 
And you can generalize this everywhere. If your dog has to spend a night in the vet, he knows what a crate is because he spent, you know, his whole year, year and a half of his life being in a crate. Um, there's some people that crate train their dogs all the time and their dog, like, so for four years, every night the dog goes in the crate. And then I saw um, a colleague of mine, their dog pulled an ACE, like, tore its ACL. So six weeks it has to be in the crate. Well, at least the dog's not sore and stressed for being sore, but also stressed from being in a crate it's never been. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm just in my crate now. Mm-hmm. It just means now because while I'm sore, I have to spend most of the six weeks in there. You come out for toilet to eat and then you go back in there. So that could be also good. Or if you want to go camping or you go down the coast, and you stay in a random place, you don't leave your puppy in the inside of the apartment or inside of the toilet where it just ruins everything and you give up your bond. So the crate's a consistent thing and you can keep them safe as well. Should your dog ever sleep with you? Um, if you like, if you're down for that. Um, a dog would sleep, like my dog used to sleep with me all the time when I was just me in a queen bed. Mm. Um, but now we have the cat and my wife and then the dog and this dog and then it's like, <laughs> there's too much going on so no one sleeps on my bed. Actually, no, my dogs even sleep outside now Yeah, and because I've got a baby so waking up at three in the morning to give the milk. And they're standing at the door like, can you let me out? So I just in the middle of winter, I just leave them outside. Mm. Little, little dogs a little jacket on her in a little kennel. But, um, but they can sleep on your bed. As long as you invite them up, I'm happy, whatever. Have some rules and boundaries. Otherwise, they dig some mud and they jump onto your bed. And then how pissed off will you be? Mm. You know what I mean? It would be unfair to correct your dog for that where if it always jumps up. So structure in the house, that's why crate training is good or teaching a bed command is good because structure in your house is the most important. If you're not managing them, then they're going to have too many opportunities to do what they want to do, which don't align with our values. So when generally. you say big command, is that like going, like time for bed or like just something like that or what? It's not like time for bed like, oh, it's bedtime to sleep. It's go to your bed as in you stay on that bed until I say, okay, until I release you off the bed, you have to stay on that bed. <laughs> and you reward them doing that with food at the start at to s- train them? Yeah, definitely. Um, so at first we go, it's a good place to be. So we lure them on with food and we reward them, walk away, reward them. And then increase that duration as your training goes on. So you want to increase your duration, your distance from the from the bed. Like how far can you go? Can you go into another room and come back and he stays there? Mm. And then and distractions. Can can you be in the middle of the party having the barbecue and you say bed and you stay there, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and the other day, so um, my wife had her cousin over and there was babies and um, Andre wanted to hang out with with the with the dog and like little little nookie and but she goes oh you're engaging with me so now I'm going to get overexcited but that over like just being just um, animated made him scared and he was like huh, huh, huh. so then and then Tanya said hey nookie bed she went into a bed she stayed there twenty minutes whatever she said okay she gets back off again and then we can restart that so it can be handy and all these things and that's like the highest distraction she loves kids but she has to go into a bed not just because she may get food. But if you don't, well, then I'll put pressure on you to make you do it. So <laughs> it's not all just about food. We, once we teach a behavior, then we can give a consequence for non-compliance as well. Toilet training. Yep. Talk about it. All right. Um, I, can, I guess I can go over it briefly. There's a whole episode on, on our podcast. If yep. you want to go the 20-minute version. But um, I guess a few tips would be don't, don't set your pup up for, for, for failure, basically. So people leave the puppy inside the apartment free roaming, doing whatever it wants to do. They come back four hours later. I'm like, oh, my God, they shit on my couch. You peed here. You stepped in it. Um, so there's, if we give them the opportunity to do it, then the more they become reinforced because doing a shit is self-reinforcing. It just feels good to back one out, right? So then he will do it. <laughs> and if you're not there to correct it or to reward it when he's done a good, well, then how does he know what to do? And he'll just go again according to what feels good to him. So management's always the most important. I would micromanage the crap out of my the next puppy that I get. When it comes into my house, you're on a lead. 
Um, you either be in your crate for sleeping, inside an exercise pen if, I'm, if I want you inside, but not to be annoying the dogs and the baby and, our, and ourselves. Um, and then spend time in the backyard for prong, prolonged periods of time when it gets a bit older. And when you come into my space, then I'm setting it up. You're on a harness. I sit down watching TV. I'll have you next to me. We're hanging out. We're making it good because my dogs, when they come in, there's no fuckery in the house. It's just you go on your bed, you just lay there. It's, I wouldn't say it's boring because it's pretty comfortable for them, <laughs> but it's not a playground, yeah. all right? Um, my house is my temple and my backyard and the world around yeah. us um, becomes opportunity for play and for engagement. So they, they like that? <laughs> um, yeah, they're down for Well, they don't know any other way anyway. Yeah. And, and what would – well, look, so for example, my 39-kilo dog, imagine he bounced off the walls and I've got a one-year-old crawling around. That's just disaster, right? Mm. My house is like my living room and the kitchen combined is a space of here. Like it's a very small space, right? I've got a large backyard, but the actual house. So I don't want you doing anything else in my house. And I don't even want my dogs to be jumping on the couch and grabbing the remote and doing this and doing that. And I'm saying, I'm the no guy. No, 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 no. Rather than controlling them, having them under control and then telling them, hey, I'm the yes guy. Now you've done really good. Let's go outside and play some tug or whatever it is. Um, and there's many ways of doing it. Now it's harder when you're in an apartment. You're like, well, I don't really have a backyard. So how mm. do I make it? So then for a puppy, you have an exercise pen and go, you're in there. But when I bring you into the, le- the living space when we're hanging out, there's a little bit of control. Maybe just have a lead loose on your pup so then you can stop him from, you know, grabbing your socks and running around. Then you have to chase him and it becomes a big, bloody, crazy, stupid game that you don't want to do, but he loves to do it. So management's always number one, always. And then from there we go, well, look, dogs want to go taller after they eat, after exercise and as soon as they wake up. And generally, you know, a puppy of his age, of your pup's age, I'd say 45 minutes, an hour maybe, you give him opportunity that you go to the grassy spot or you go out to the balcony. And then when he goes to the toilet, you reward him and have a few pee pads inside the house, maybe at the beginning. So you can teach him, Hey, do it on the pad instead of anywhere else. And um, yeah, if you leave him free roaming, you go have a shower and you come back and you're like, damn, I missed another opportunity of correcting him for peeing where I didn't want him to or rewarding him for doing it on the pad. So we need to make the dogs want to do the things that we want them to do. But you know, dogs only do things to please their own situation, to better their own situation rather, a little bit like a human being, right? Um, so if we can make it in their best interest, then it works well. So you, t- um, they sort of talk about, especially in apartments and that, that you sort of want your dog to feel like, that's kind of counterintuitive to what you're saying, but like you would kind of want the dog to feel like the whole house, like he understands like the whole house because when he goes into one certain room that I always lock off, like he always like shit or piss in there for some reason. Yeah. He's, he's not comfortable or he's not used to going in there. So he'll just go in out of nowhere, just shit. I'm okay. Like, getting um, angry. Like, what are you doing? For sure. Well, look, I, I think of things as like a reward history. So if he hasn't had a reward or a punishment history for being, for toileting in there, then he just thinks that's just another place to go toilet. Mm. It's, it's us that put boundaries and lines and maps and walls up. We're like, you know, animals naturally, they have their territories for sure. But like, what's the difference between there and there? They're like, you're so anal. What's the difference? Who cares? Mm. It's shitty shit, right? It's like, no, I do it there so I can clean it up. You can't rationalize with them. One thing that I would do is you can scatter feed. So if you're feeding kibble, you chuck all the food on the ground in the place where you don't want the dog to go toilet. So if that room is only for eating, you go there and just chuck a whole bunch of kibble on the floor. He puts his mouth on the ground, he eats, and then you leave. And you do that you know, intermittently over a few weeks. And he goes, oh, that's the room where I potentially eat. Mm. So as soon as he goes, he's not thinking about toileting. He's thinking about maybe eating. But also, if you walk in that room and you went to the, go to the toilet, he needed to go and you should have gone to the balcony first or out into the grass. So it's my fault. Going. 
Always your fault, <laughs> generally. Never my fault, eh, Lukey? <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll sort of dive into... Oh, sorry, one of the last questions I had. What are some of the old old myths that you've that are no longer true? I've sort of talked about spinning the mouth, um, rubbing yeah. your face in it. Is there any other ones oh, that you so want to get rid of? Oh, shit. Um, I heard you say Vicks. Oh, Vicks. <laughs> um, for, for, for chewing stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think, um, I think the best... The best thing to think about is don't see dogs as dominant and you being the alpha and all that sort of shit. Like there's dominance exists and alphas exist, but we're talking about wolf packs. Um, when it comes to like human and dog connections, like of course, instead of seeing it as oh, I'm the alpha, well, you should, you, you fucking better be the alpha. Otherwise then your dog's going to eat you. Right. He's like, that's the, that's the, the myth out there. Mm. Oh, if, you know, you got to eat before your dog eats because you got to be the dominant one and all that sort of shit. Um, I think the best way to see it is we're like the super alpha. We're the one that provides everything for the dog. And rather than, oh, if your dog leans on you, he's trying to dominate you. You have to push back onto him. Like, let him lean on you. He probably just wants a pat. It could be annoying and you should, and you can punish it if you like or make it undesirable. How do you punish? How do you punish? Oh, like, so if, if a dog just came and like, he's a big, strong dog and he leans on me, he's just kind of pushing me over because he just wants uh, some affection, but he does it all the time. And it's kind of annoying. You can just lean back onto him, just lean harder, harder until he walks away. But I don't, but my point is that don't see it as, Oh, he's trying to dominate you because of something so trivial like that. Now, if you're like on the ground and your dog stands on top of you and he's growling and he's legit telling you that I'm protecting a certain resource and I want to nail you, He's showing dominance for sure, mm. but um, but it's better not to. Yeah, we say they say spit in their mouth or spit in their food because you own it. You're the dominant one. I think it's better to just not like. Even when I'm explaining anything to my clients on a nine nine percent time, I'm not talking about dominance and alpha and anything like that, because I think it cl- cloud is the water a little bit. You know, then you think like you have to bite your dog on the ear if he jumps on you, and or you got to hump him back and all that sort of shit. Like it <laughs> makes us do weird shit, man. Yeah. When you're under this. Um, under the and you, you people try to nail their dogs and try to hold them to the ground until they submit all that sort of stuff where it could um, it could cloudy your relationship as well and then also you're not getting a true representation of what your dog's behavior is. Do you feel like um, you're obviously in a relationship? I'm in a relationship too. That he listens more. to Obviously, you're a dog trainer, but he listens to one person more than the other. Yeah, is that is that common? For sure, I think um, just like you'd probably listen to your dad more, you listen to your mom, or vice versa, or. Um, I guess at my house, the reason why the dogs probably are more reliable with me is because I do all the training. Like my wife can tell them, hey, come and walk and don't get in front of me. Like she does all the basics and they still listen to her. But if I say come and she says come, I think that they'll come to me first because I reward more. Um, and I probably, and she, like not to shit on her, but she doesn't go out there and, and do the training like, <laughs> like what I do. You know what I mean? So, and they actually spend more hours with me. They come yeah. to work with me. So, um, so yeah, and it's not because I'm the guy. If she did all the training, I did nothing. The dog will listen to her more generally. Mm. So you just sure. with my girlfriend, she'll say no, and you just like straight yeah. through the other side. Because you know, if, if I if I just like if we're throughout the conversation, if I just like said no, mm. and I just said no, no, and I never followed through, then you wouldn't understand what my no meant. Where if I said no and slapped you hard, no, and I slapped you hard. Now, depending on the other consequences that can probably follow that, you'd probably say no. No means something to panels for sure because he always follows through. Mm. Where if I say no and not do anything, then no means nothing. There's no conditioning. Like dogs aren't born to know English, so they don't understand <laughs> that, that, that sound that our face makes, you know? Yeah. yeah. Are you allowed to slap your dog? I generally won't slap a dog. I don't um, have a bummer in somewhere. Is that all right? Or like, no? look, there's some times where I've been frustrated and I probably whack my dog on the ass for sure. Mm. Um, but it's not a training technique. It's probably more because I've been frustrated and, and, uh, and, you know, and it's just more of a 
human thing to do. But like people like will slap a dog on the nose and stuff. I think that's too much for a dog because mm. there's so many capillaries and so sensitive that smack him on the nose. Like if I banged you on the nose, you wouldn't like it, right? If anything, it'll probably make them more aggressive and they'll probably have a reason to bite you, right? Um, I'm not against using punishment or correction. No, a lot of corrections, like, you know, like a leash correction, um, if they're using a certain collar, you can give them a pop on the lead to be like, hey, I don't like that. That's aversive. Don't do that. Um, if I'm going to correct a dog, let's say if it's a bigger dog and they jump on me, either I walk into their space and do it assertively um, or I can give them a, like a little poke to the side of the ribs and then walk into their space and be like, hey, back it up sort of thing. But I try to I stay away from smacking because mm. a smack is a uh, it's a frustration mm. which creates anger which creates fear. Where if I was to give a correction by doing a, a different method, I think it creates more respect because you're a little bit more assertive and calmer, clearer. There's no emotion when there should be no emotion when you're punishing or rewarding. Mm. But you know we're human, we're emotional. It's so. <laughs> like one of my friends' dog is biting Mallow's back of the neck, so. Snap them across the head. Well, look, so what you could do there is like, and look, and in saying that, of course, there's times where, all right, so the other day, natural reaction, I didn't even, it wasn't part, and what I mean is like, it's not like I say, hey, slap your dog when he does that, because I don't want to give that, because then people take that to another level, right? Mm. But um, there was a dog at a client's house, and it was like, it was a cool little Australian shepherd, and they said to oh, every time we put coconut water, the dog loves it and grabs it, and, and she's, and that dog's been in people in the house before. And it was at the end of the session, we'll book in the next session. She gets up and then off the bed and we've been practicing bed means bed until we say okay. And she'd be doing perfectly, but the distraction was a coconut mm. water. So she's like, mm. she gets up and she walks. Owners are still looking at her going, hey, you should probably stop. But she didn't, no one did anything. So I'm like, hey, and I grabbed by the collar to take her and then she bit me on the hand. And then my reaction was just like, bah, and I just gave her a little, like a, <laughs> just a soft little one yeah. across the chops just as a don't bite me again and not yeah. like a, you better not. It was just a, I need you to stop real quick. I grabbed her by the collar and I took her. That was the first time she had ever been corrected for biting somebody. Effectively anyway. You could come back 20 minutes later and be angry with your dog, but that doesn't mean anything. has to be in the moment straight mm. away. Now, in that moment, I would have liked to do a different thing, but, um, but in that moment, it was just a quick little, like just over the back of the ears to be like, hey, cut it out on your bed now. And she's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Now, I wouldn't have corrected her like that if she just went for the coconut water because I could have her on a lead and we can do a technique to condition her. But in that one moment, it was just a very primitive reaction and, and it bloody worked, so who cares, all right? Um, she wasn't scared of me, which is important. She wasn't shy of my hands because if you start smacking them, you lift your hand up, she's going to be shy of you and she'll probably bite you or she'll run away from you. Mm. So you don't want to break down your relationship by doing random punishments. Um, it has to be calculative enough to weaken behavior for the future. My dog's very, um, like, like, loves to – I feel like it's teething. I, I, you'd mm-hmm. probably be the expert, but what's the difference between teething and biting? Because like he just sort of always plays around, like with your hands and stuff. It's never too like, hard or anything, but yeah, it does get kind of annoying after a while. Just like fuck, go sit over there, man. For like, sure. Um, yeah, look, um, biting is um, is a common puppy. Actually, two weeks ago we released another episode, so I'm, mm. pl- I'm plugging the show, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, look, but he's teething because he hasn't got adult teeth yet. So when he's six months old, generally he'll have a adult um, set of teeth. So until then, it's really important for puppies to be mouthing and biting things because it, it's really healthy for their teething and their sore, so they alleviate the, the pain by stimulating their mouth and also helps align their teeth to come out straight as time goes. Whether that's true or not, someone fact check that. But, um, but it's good for them is the point. And so they have to bite, but they're sometimes, because they've got needle-sharp teeth, it fucking hurts, right? <laughs> they make you bleed, they're hurting you. So 
my first go-to is, I look at one more thing is when the puppies are all together, what are they doing? Yeah. They're hanging off each other's ears. They're biting each other because they use their mouth like we use our hands. So what I would say is when, um, when he's going to be with you, have something to redirect. You can get an old towel, um, like a little tea towel, cut little strips and plait it like how you would plait your hair. And you can use that to go, hey, you want to bite something? Bite this instead. Put on a rope so it can really move around quickly. The puppy goes to chase it and bite it. So we're redirecting it to get, I know you need a bite. You need to bite that and stop biting me. There's a video I put up, I put on stories, but I'll put it up soon on Nutris Pooches where I had to correct the puppy because I was redirecting it. And the pup's like, nothing's as good as your fingers right now. And that's because when the puppy goes to bite and we keep moving back and becoming mm. like prey, he gets more excited and keeps on chasing. Now, of course, yeah, I can slam the puppy. It was a little foxy. I can just slap him, mm. right? And then you'll be scared he won't come up to me again. And that's a damage of our relationship. So how I chose to punish it in that moment was as he starts chewing on my fingers, I just move my finger in a little bit into his jaw and I kind of, with my thumb, just hold the back of his head. And I just hold it there enough to be uncomfortable but not to be painful so I don't squeeze it. But I hold it where the pup's like, ah, the, the game's not fun anymore. Now, if I kept my hand at the base of his teeth, he would bite me, but I put it at the where the top jaw and bottom jaw. So he's like, he, and as soon as I feel that he's pulling back a little, I just release the pressure. I go, hey man, if you're gonna bite me like that, like there's look, there's heaps of times where puppies are kind of minor, like gnawing on me. I just allow that. It's like a child. There's some things you allow, but then when it goes too much, it's like, hey, you need to cut it out now. It's too far. So I corrected that puppy three times, and he licked me instead, and we played games, and he felt like, well, biting your flesh sucks. And we made, and then also, if you find that they're in a particular excited state of mind, whether they have zoomies or it's time that they've just eaten, you've just come home and they're super excited, do a training session, play a little tug game, start doing things to stimulate them and harness that energy rather than. One thing we're saying before we started recording was we know, like right now, so just as we started um, doing the intro, he starts barking. He's like, oh, what should we do with the bar- about the barking? Should I give him a treat? So if you gave him the treat while he's barking, you reinforce it. You didn't say that. that. No one one said that, right? Um, But if we rewarded that minute before, then he's like, huh. Or even now, he hasn't made a noise since we started recording. If someone went there and gone, yes, and chucked like five treats on the ground and closed the door, then he thinks, huh, well, when I'm calm and I'm quiet, I get food. Now, in this case, I don't know, he doesn't bark often in there, right? No, never. So I wouldn't do anything right now, just ignore the barking. But let's just say it was a barking problem and you want to teach him and communicate to him about how to actually get affection, I mean, attention, then you would do it like that, just like the biting. Normally we don't pay much attention to it and we give heaps of attention when he's chewing our clothes and ruining our shoes and stuff. So we start going, no, stop, ah, 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 rather than telling him when he's being good so he can do more of the good thing than the bad thing. That's why, you know, when you, if, you're at, if you're in class and you make a, sh- a, a stupid joke, everyone laughs at you, but you get in trouble from the teacher, you're like, well, first of all, what's the punishment from the teacher? There's no cane. There's no real punishment. You write something in my diary or give me a detention. Fucking who cares? But if everyone laughs at me, it's that's worth it, pretty eh? reinforcing. Yeah. So I'm going to continue that behavior. Same thing there. All right. All right. So reach out on Instagram for a bit of Q&A. Obviously, a lot of people have dogs within Sydney. You can see them everywhere. So here's a couple of the ones and just answer them the best you can. All right. Awesome. Um, how do I stop dogs with anxiety? I have a rescue dog. He's, I remember the question, he's about five years old, rescue dog, how do I stop this dog with anxiety? Anxiety is so broad, you know, like it's so open, like are we talking about like, you know, separation related anxiety? There, or there is a, there's a separation anxiety question, so okay. we'll just go. We'll tie them in, kind of. Well, let's go, okay, so anxiety is like the, is, I think it's, it's the most commonly misdiagnosing, we just say, oh, like my sister one time, she goes, oh, thinking about that gives me anxiety. I'm like, no, you get anxious when you think about it. You don't, you don't get anxiety. Anxiety is the thing that you have and you have 
out of control moments of anxiousness, right? Again, don't quote me on that. I'm not a doctor. So um, I guess my point here is that it's better to not go, oh, my, my dog has anxiety because it puts a big kind of weight on your shoulders going, oh, shit, he's got anxiety, rather than going, all right, let's isolate it. Okay, he, gets, he gets fearful and he gets anxious and he may have mild forms of anxiety when he's left alone or when he's around the loud, noisy bus because the owners that had him before he became a rescue dog never did any conditioning to him to get him used to it. He probably missed out on those first 17 weeks of critical period stuff. So to, to fulfill anxiety, to fulfill most behavioral issues, to give you a, a, a general answer because it's very specific, is that your dog needs regular mental stimulation. So exercise and training. Exercise in terms of physical exercise, you're going to be getting out 45 to an hour every single day. No matter, As I said, I've got a small dog and I've got a big dog. They both get the same amount of exercise. Um, it's good for us too. So <laughs> regular exercise, mind and body, we want to be able to – um, and I'd say definitely employ a trainer, someone who's worthwhile so they can start to isolate and help you with counter conditioning. What that means is, is let's just say he's scared of, or he gets anxiety because of people or another dog because something bad happened. So you need to be able to not go keep, keep flooding him and putting him around a whole bunch of people and hopefully he gets over it. That could work, but also it could make it worse. And then he just gets more flighty, more shivery and more in a flight response. He's trying to avoid everything. And then from that can cause aggression. Because he goes, well, I've run, run, run. I've hit, hit, hit. Everyone keeps annoying me and touching me, and I'm scared of people. So now I'm going to bite them. Biting them means people dis- runs away from you generally. So if we can make more positive experiences and breaking it down. But what's most important is you can do all the techniques in the world, but if you're not giving them, like if you're not finding what's the cause. Like a lot of the times, like for example, if we, if your dog's feeling scared of something and we only just give attention for when he's being scared, you're not really reinforcing the fear, but he, he's not focusing on something else. So if we can work on structured loose lead walking, so when we're out in the walk, I need you to follow a certain, a certain job because all dogs need a job. With no job, no purpose, they, they find their own ways to fulfill themselves. And they're going, I'm really, really scared of that person walking past me and they run away. Oh, yeah, he's got anxiety. And then boom, it's dismissed. <laughs> it's like, and I'm not giving you any shit whoever wrote it. It's more of try to go, hey, in this one moment, I know he's going to be scared of that. So all of my food's in my pouch. We've showed him that these are the rules of the walk and I'm going to try to make it positive. Maybe don't be two meters from that one person walking past that makes him anxious. Maybe cross the road and make it positive. Over time, the dog's more focused on the job at hand and fo- focusing on a sit-stay and focusing on you and making positive experiences. He goes, oh, I thought I was scared of people. Or I, was th- I thought I was scared of the loud noise from the construction site or whatever it is. But over time with setting our dogs up for success, we start, they start making their own decision of, am I actually scared of that? Or am I really, truly anxious? Or it could be that the dog's just pumping, jumping off the walls and super psyched because we're not fulfilling them appropriately. So a lot of the times when um, we're doing with, dealing with behavioral issues, I don't isolate it away from their general life. If you always have an a- anxious problem, but you're not meditating, you're not exercising, if you're not um, fulfilling your goals and having discipline and getting enough sleep, eating right, if you're not doing all those things, forget about the behavioural therapy. None of it's really going to work because you've got to work on what's the, what's the cause and the foundation. So that's probably the best way I could answer that. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100. <laughs> best way to teach a dog how to fetch? Um, practice. Practice. <laughs> Look, it, it depends if the dog wants the ball or not. So if the dog doesn't want the ball and you're throwing the ball for him, you know, like it's like saying, how do I motivate Isaac to do um to be a gym gymnast? You don't do gymnastics, right? No. Do you like it? No. So, so how do I make you do it? How can I make you do it? And he's like, he doesn't want to fucking do it. Leave him alone. So that's probably one. Like some dogs are more inclined to 
fetch. Now, I know fetch means bring the dog, bring the ball back. I get it. But some dogs won't even ch- throw the ball. If you throw the ball for Mello, will he go for it? Yeah, he went for it straight away and brought Beautiful. it back straight away. So with, with Nuki, I throw the ball, um, my Maltese palm, she'll bring it back. She's like, she loves it. It's, it's a, a ball, when a ball is going fast, the dog sees that as prey drive. You know, the, the rabbit runs, the wolf chases. So she has a higher um, prey drive where spades, I throw the ball and he'll look at it like, what does that mean? Now, I can teach him how to do it and show him that if you bring it back to me, I'll give you food. But it's better to play fetch with the dog that wants to play fetch. If your dog doesn't want to play fetch but rather tug, then that's going to be your, your game to play. But let's just say the dog goes, like, um, goes for the ball, grabs it, but then doesn't bring it back to you. What I'll do is I'll get myself a 10-meter-long lead. I'll do this in the backyard to begin with with less distractions. Hold the lead halfway down so you've got about five meters of it. Make sure your dog's hungry as well. Um, this is one way. There's many, many ways, but this, this could work. You throw the ball maybe like two or three meters away from you. The dog grabs it. As soon as the dog grabs it and looks in your direction, you can just give your marker yes, which means I'm giving you food. He drops the ball. He gives you the food. Now, some people, and this is true, that if the dog's too high and dry for the ball, he won't want your food, that's for sure. Then we can start using some forms of pressure to be like, hey, I've thrown the ball, you got it. As soon as you give it back, like as soon as I get my hand on it, I put a little bit of pressure, light pressure on the collar, he lets go. I say, so my other dog, when I throw the ball for it, I say bang. So that's the marker that I'm going to throw the ball. So I say bang, and I throw the ball. He brings it back, bang, I throw the ball. Then he learns, well, every time I bring it back to you or come close to you, you get it off me. And even though you got to kind of compel me to let it go, mm. I can throw it. Some people have two balls, and when the dog brings the ball kind of close to them, they show the other ball, they drop it, and they go for it. I don't, I'm not against that, but I'd prefer to do it where it's more singular with one ball to teach the actual action rather than messing around with two balls. But you can do that as well. But um, but yeah, is puppy training worth it? Pretty hundred, hundred. <laughs> the most important thing you can do for yeah. for puppies um up until that seventeen weeks or and and further up until six months is doing as much as you can. So so, so Mallow's right on seventeen sixteen weeks now. Um, probably taught him a few bad habits. Mm-hmm. I can correct those. Eh? Oh for sure, man. Yeah. We just, we trained a dog the other day, nine years old. Um, would pull in the lead, lunge at other dogs, wouldn't hold any, didn't even know how to sit or down. And third session in. <laughs> Whose parents, who's, who's the parents? Well, when they got the dog, it was a rescue dog and now, oh, they've, okay. now they're owning the dog. So the dog didn't know anything. Um, we went through, and like, they're awesome. Like, I mean, they're fully into it, um, the owners, and which shows in the dog, right? So people can tell me, oh, yeah, I've practiced, I've practiced. But if your dog's not showing any improvement, I don't know how much you've actually practiced, right? Mm. No, that's not always true because some dogs are pretty messed up or whatever. But my point is that it's never too old to, to train a dog. Um, so, But puppy training. Can teach an old dog new tricks. 100%. 100%. Depends mm. on the motivation and depends on the on the physical limitations of the dog. If the dog's 17 and you're throwing the ball for him and he's not bringing it back, <laughs> who cares? Let him be. Let yeah. him do what he wants sort of thing, yeah. Uh, what's your best recommendation for pet food? Is this um, coming to your – yeah, look, like I'm not like I, I can give you my personal experience, and what I recommend is um, either feeding a premium dry food. So I use uh, I'm Black Hawk and grain free. That's just I choose not to feed my dogs grains, like like whole whole grains and cereals and things like that. I don't think it should be in their in their diet. Personally, again, I'm not a um, specialist, um, but grain free offers different fillers, you know, like potato and sweet potato, shit like that. Um, but I don't – I mainly feed like 80% of my food is raw feeding. So I use um, a company called Raw and Fresh, um, and in Sydney they deliver to you. So it's easy, it's convenient, but they do all of the work and um, in regards to packaging it and having it because it's got like chicken mince and carcass minced up in it and it's got beef liver, spleen and pureed vegetables so they mix up the veggies in there. 
And, um, and I, I do a mix. I do a mix of giving the raw food and then on the off days they're getting their dry food. Along with, for dogs that are six months and over, um, bones are important. So if it's a large breed, I would go like a turkey neck, brisket, like a beef brisket or a chicken carcass. And I do that once, maybe twice a week as their meal. So instead of them getting like ordinary food, the bone is the food. Because it's still food, right? Mm. Nutrition. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Raw yeah. food, I'm going to get onto that. Yeah, um, how, how, should you, how should you walk your dog with a lead? Sorry, how was that? How should you walk a dog with your lead, with a lead? It's kind of hard because I like, say like Mallow, for example, like he's either like taking off or like he'll, mm. he's back there sniffing a the leaf. Yeah. Like, or then I'll try to like, okay. I don't know what I'm doing now. Uh, for sure. I'll Look, hold him tight and just get – Right now go. with a puppy, I'd say let him explore the world as much as you can. Like you can have some foundation, like hang out my left-hand side. Um, but there's no loose lead walking for puppies. I normally start doing loose lead walking from dog from the age of six months and over. Mm. So six months and under, I typically use a front clip harness. So if you get a harness that clips on the front, as soon as your puppy goes in front, it kind of pulls them off balance just so they don't develop a habit of digging into the lead so hard and pulling while they're super young and small. More for your convenience, but also just so you can give a good foundation. And dogs from six months and over, we generally use a martingale collar and, and a few other different training collars, which goes around the neck, and then we, we teach loose lead walking that way. What's loose lead walking? Um, when we're walking, the dog should be on our left-hand side and no pressure on the lead. So basically walking next to us and mm. with a loose lead, so no, no tension. Sense, yeah. um, and th- there's an episode that we put out um, called Structured Walking, which means um, so, and we do the 20-20-20 rule. So we do 20 minutes structured walk. So loose lead next to me, you're at work, because walking should be a job for your dog, unless they have a legitimate job. <laughs> then if they don't, like, you know, if they're not a working dog, then when you're walking, this is what you, I need you to do. So it's a focused sort of activity where they have to um, walk within our rules and boundary. And then when we get up to the park, we put them on a 10-meter lead so they can pee-poo, play, sniff, chase a ball, have fun, do what they like to do. And then we do that loose lead walk back home. So that's a little bit of a structure of walking. And don't just let it be free roaming all day long because then it's going to be really hard to walk your dog. Even if the dog's small, it's a pain in the ass for a dog pulling and carrying on. It's nice if they follow you and listen to you. And that kind of ties back into the anxiety. Like real quickly, actually, so – a couple of weeks ago, we were out um, in the mountains and, my, and both my dogs got attacked by a dog, jumped off the back of a ute and went for a nookie. And nookie's like that small little girl, so she got bitten twice. Um, and then, of course, and chased spades and bit him a couple of times, but no punctures. And because I have a strong foundation, we're doing things like when I talk about structure, we do the things that are important, but I'm not set in a routine because I, I guess I'm a bit open where I don't have to be a nine to five and everything has to fit in. But even if I did, I feed different times, I walk different times, we do training sessions randomly. They still happen, Mm. but the dogs don't know when it's going to happen. And because I'm super consistent with it, there's no other way to be, Nookie was able to bounce back from – like, and she was pretty terrified. We stayed in the cabin for a couple of nights there. She was in pain, she was shivering, she was shaking. Um, Like every noise that happened, she was a bit off. But when we get back home, we're back in in our general structure again, Um, and I've been introducing her to dogs um, intermittently, and there hasn't been any real big – um, anxiety issue and it's because we've got a strong foundation the dog knows how to fit back in mm. but if you're a wandering spirit and something bad happens to you but you don't have that workout plan you don't have um, you know your crew that are supporting you you don't have all of these um, responsibilities then that incident that happens to you you identify more than what it has to be so yeah um, how to stop nipping and by we sort of touched on the say especially the face because my dog will bite 
just mm. kind of just correction, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd like something like, like I'd do very minimal punishment for puppies or correction, but that would be definitely something I would correct. Just a nip in the butt. And look, and if your puppy was with its mum and a bit on the ear too hard, the mum would give a social correction as well. Mm. Um, in that moment there, if there's no lead on, he jumps up. I'd go ah, and quick little pop, little poke with like a finger or two to the side of his ribs, just and he'd probably. It has to be hard enough for him to not like it, but not too soft where he didn't even feel Rip it. Cartilage. So yeah, so don't don't hurt him for sure, <laughs> yeah. but make it undesirable. Be like, don't do that. Um, and then, of course, if you know he's in that mood, don't sit on the floor and then try to manage it because he's only a baby, right? How do I stop my sausage dog from barking? He's a sausage dog, man. You are they, are they just barkers? <laughs> um, dashhounds can like they have a. It's a mini dashhound too. Yeah, look, dashhounds. I've been, I've, I've in my experience, they can be very nervy. Um, dogs. Definitely have ang- uh, can have anxiety <laughs> issues, um, um, aggression issues, and a lot of it comes down to fear. Um, how do I stop him? You need to employ a dog trainer mm. to help you out. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to – look, everything that I said, regular exercise, regular training, um, you know, doing lots of th- – the best way to stop reactivity, aggression, anxiety in the future is by doing everything in that first 17 weeks, as much as you can. There's some dogs that are pre- predisposed to um, – to these sort of behaviors, genetics. So like, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, you know, if, and if a lot of people are breeding for the looks of a dog, but not taking into account temperament and health, then we're going to be breeding issues um, later down the, the bloodline. So I think that's what's been happening. But again, I'm not a specialist in that to have a heart as my hypothesis. But if I say in those one month, like three months ago, eight dashes, Dash hounds, and every single one of them, I wouldn't have been, if they weren't different colors, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. All had the exact same issue. We treated the exact same way, and they're all coming out of it pretty good. So, You're quite um, antisocial dogs, eh? Because yeah. I look after one sometimes. It's my friend's dog. Yeah, like exactly the same. Like hated other dogs, just like loved like couple people. That was it for sure. And look, and and like you know, it, they can definitely show show this sort of aggression, hundred um, percent. I think maybe is it the way that we engage with them as well they're small they're the sausage dog so when they're really babies they're like look super precious so maybe we don't um set them up as best they can maybe from the beginning because a lot of the times when you catch them from young we don't see the issues later down the track but again is that coincidence different blood different bloodline different you know different owners there's so much to it but um but yeah dashhounds they haven't been blessed genetically the way that we've been breeding because an original dashhound's like a bigger dog going down the badger hole to flush out badgers and if you know anything about a badger, they're pretty yeah, hardy yeah. animals. So t- for you to have the tenacity to go down a dark hole and not be able to see and then to flush out an animal that's going to potentially hurt you, you've got to have a bit of aggression or intensity about you. Um, but now we've been breeding because they're cute and then we're taking away their working ability and then there may have been some residual behaviours that stuck around, but then maybe we've made them too thin-nerved. They're not, um, they're not stable enough. Um, but that's not just in dash hands. It can be in many breeds as well. Hire a trainer. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Question, bro, how do I stop my dog from running away? <laughs> Keep him on a lead. <laughs> um, yeah, teach a good recall. And look, a dog shouldn't be – has no business being off the lead if it doesn't know how to come back to you on command. It doesn't hold it down, stay until you release them. If they don't have those two skills, they, do your dog a favour and don't take them off the lead. Um, use, a, uh, use a long lead and practice recall as much as you can. And if you're not going to practice recall, just don't take them off the lead. Now, if you're at the dog park and if you're at – I don't like dog parks. I actually hate dog parks. But um, oh, Why do you hate dog parks? For two main reasons. It's where dogs get attacked frequently and creates a lot of bad behavior in dogs because of fear and fear of aggression, anxiety. And also it's a place where your dog learns to ignore you. 
So you go to the dog park, you let them off, they have more fun with other dogs and they don't listen to you. The next time they see a dog in the front of your house, you don't have a lead on them and there's no closed gate. He sees a dog across the road, he runs. You say, come, he's like, screw you, I'm going to go play with Billy across the road and done. And it happens often. Um, When I got Nookie, she was a year and a half old. For the first six months of owning her, she was not out of my property off the lead. I know she knew a recall. I knew it when we were doing puppy training with the – with their clients or her old owners. So like I knew she had it, but like, is it reliable? Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd never set her up for failure. And, um, and because of that, I can go out and clean my car out and my dogs can be off the lead in my front yard and they're not running away. They come back every time. I can tell them to down when a dog walks past, they stay there. So I'm confident that I'm going to have less drama because of it, but nothing's ever a hundred percent. So yeah. Weight loss tips besides training. <laughs> um, stop feeding your dogs so much, I guess. I had that question come out the other day is, yeah, you know, just, um, Look, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm old school, man. I don't go by grams and shit. I look at the dog and be like, you're going to get fed less a little bit today. Mm. Or, mm, I, you know, you're a bit skinny. I'm going to give you more. Um, I feed dogs from 12 months and over once a day. So my dogs just get fed once. The food goes to them in the evening. They eat it and they're done. Um, I don't existentially reward my dogs because they will respond to the food that I have, like the treats. So, so yeah, they get fed. Dogs that are six months and under, I go generally, depending on the breed, if it's a larger breed, I go three times. From six months to 12 months, I go twice and then a year onwards once. Mm. So if you can stick with that and stop giving, keeping food out all the time, like there's a buffet, um, that will help. And, you know, and do training so your dog doesn't just look at you like, oh, give me puffy eyes. I have to feed him. Well, he's training. He's, you've trained him to be pathetic and to, and to not do something, right? I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question. I have a five year old bull terrier. She's aggressive. Can that be fixed? Yes, it can be definitely fixed. Dog, fixed. Um, dog trainer. But yeah, it's hard. I can't, I, especially with aggression. I can't give real any good um, advice like in this capacity now. And even on my own podcast, on our own podcast, talking about it, and we address it. Like you can say, listen to those episodes and give you a foundation. But even then, I always say, get someone out to help you. Otherwise, you, you know, it's like you know, you can get a PT and help and show you how to do a proper squat, or you can just watch YouTube and just wing it. But you don't know what things you're doing wrong and the. The bad thing about doing a bad squat is that you probably have a bad back or you're just not developing as you like. But with aggression, your dog's going to kill something um, before – and that's when you realise, I don't think this is working sort of thing. So, um, so yes, yeah, so definitely seek some professional advice. All right, bro. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your knowledge. I've had a great time. Learned a lot. Likewise. Where can people find you? Nutris Pooches on Instagram, Facebook, and my website, NutrisPooches.com. And Life With Your Dog podcast is our podcast. So you about can, 36 episodes, 38 episodes deep. Hey, there's a lot of good yeah, content in there. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, 38. Officially, there was a few Q&As that we didn't late, um, number until our, maybe four or five, and we thought maybe we should, should start numbering them. So yeah, about 40-odd episodes so far. We mm. try to get something out once a week. Um, actually, Luke pushed me for that. I'm like, we'll do something once a month. He's like, no, nah, man, once a week. Once so a week, yeah. he's motivated me to, um, for us to get things out there. So yeah. Jump uh, on. Yeah, we'll jump. Loki, make sure we put all the links in the bio. Um, yeah, thanks for your time, bro. Thanks, brother. Later.